Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a fun episode with my friend Trail Kreitzer of GoHunt.com. Trail is the research manager and gear expert at the GoHunt Gear Shop. Trail, how you doing? Good, Jay. How are you? You know, I'm doing fine. I was just at the Western Hunting Expo, and I got to see you briefly, um, and I... <laughs> I uh, picked up some kind of nasty uh, something and uh, had a little trip to the doctor this morning. I've been coughing like a seal, so hopefully we can get through this podcast without too much inter- interruption. Um, it was good to see you at the expo. It seemed like the traffic at the expo was great. Lots of people. Um, it's always a great show. Um, what were your thoughts about it? Yeah, it was great. Super busy. Um, yeah, and when you say see me, that's that's about what it was. It was kind of a high and by at times, and it was just so packed and so busy. I I don't think we even really had a time to sit down and chit-chat at all. But, um, like, from a standpoint of, of the business and the booth, it was awesome. Um, had a great show, tons of good opportunity to meet people and, you know, talk about gear and equipment and, and the insider and all that. So, yeah, for me, it was an excellent show. But, I totally know what you mean. It's it's awful tough not to pick up something when you come home from those when you talk to that many people. Shaking a lot of hands for sure. Yeah. Um, it was interesting at the Go Hunt booth. Um, you guys had just a phenomenal booth, um, big booth, and uh, you had all your computers there for all the people that were interested in, in the Go Hunt Insider, um, and you had the ability to walk people through uh, the Insider and how the draws work and how the filtering 2.0 system works and all of that as well as uh, you guys had a lot of the products from the gear shop um, up on the walls and in the racks and what have you. And it was kind of nice to see GoOn.com, you know, with that multifaceted business that you guys have. Um, You had guys there that were working insider, and you had guys there that were working the gear shop. Cody Nelson was there, the optics manager. Uh, He was selling optics, but... Um, from your perspective, uh, talk a little bit about Go Hunt. Uh, talk a little bit about, from your perspective, um, how Go Hunt has grown, and, and maybe for those people that don't know about Go Hunt, explain uh, the different levels uh, that Go Hunt has and different different um, areas of expertise that, that Go Hunt has. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so we, we we started out as just this research platform, this Go Hunt Insider platform, which is the the research subscription service. Uh, we started that and ran with it, and, and we cover 10 western states currently. And, you know, you've talked pretty extensively about uh, what it is that the insider does, but it, you know, basically is a, a catch-all, a really nice workable uh, research platform to help people find hunting opportunities, um, you know, whether that's draw odds uh, to draw hunt or over-the-counter opportunities. We cover all those in every state for every species. Um, we have this really cool, you know, filter system built into that where you can really fine-tune and filter out, um, you know, just the hunts that you're really specifically interested in. So we started as that, and, you know, it's been been really success, successful, excuse me, but um, it's been great, um, good platform. And then, what, maybe coming up on two years ago, I guess, um, we, we started this gear shop, and kind of the, the thought process behind the gear shop is we didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to carry everything under the sun. We didn't want to have this big box store approach. We really just wanted to carry uh, equipment that we really believed in and that we used and, you know, pieces that really, like, give value to, to our members. And then, uh, yeah, we built this point system uh, into the gear shop where if you're a Go Hunt insider, um, you get points back on your purchases. You know, one point's $1. We want it to be very straightforward. So it's just like an added incentive to, to be a member and to shop with us. And, yeah, the gear shop's been been great. I mean, it's it's been really successful, um, even more so, I think, than than we all anticipated. And it just continues to grow. We we keep attending, you know, shows like the uh, outdoor trade associate, or excuse me, the outdoor retailer uh, shows in the summer, and we get a look at all that really cool backpacking, hunting equipment, and uh, you know, we keep adding those pieces to the store. And then you know, Brian, who's my store manager, uh, he and I just got back from Archery Trade Association uh, last month. Had a great show, picked up some great pieces. Um, you know, the Western Hunting Expo, you mentioned that. We looked at a lot of new gear, and, and we had a lot of our stuff on display. So, um, yeah, it was awesome. Awesome opportunity to, like, get our, our members and, and even people that are just, just becoming familiar with Go Hunt uh, a chance to, like, pick up and handle and try on and, and talk to us about some of the gear that we really like and we sell in the gear shop. So, 
it's kind of a quick synopsis. There's a whole lot more to it, but that's probably the quick and dirty of it. Terrell, you mentioned that the insider members get points back or dollar for dollar. Um, talk a little bit more about that in, in the fact that if you buy a sleeping bag or you buy a backpack or you buy um, whatever it may be, um, you actually get dollars back. So explain to and maybe use an example of how that works and how it actually saves uh, insider members money. Yeah. Yeah, so what it is is it's, uh, it's a system built into our, our store. If you're an insider, go on insider, you, you pay the subscription service and you have access to all that research information. Uh, if you also buy you know, any equipment that we carry within the store, you know, we're going to give you points back on your purchase. And like you said, you know, $1.1. Um, and here's, here's an example real quick. Uh, we just added a brand new sleeping pad um, from Thermarest um, called the Neo Air Uberlite, which is their brand new super ultralight sleeping pad. Um, you know, 8.8 .8 ounces for, for a sleeping pad. So they continue to get lighter and lighter. Uh, if you buy that from us, the cost on that's one hundred and seventy-nine dollars and ninety-five cents. But if you purchase it from us, we're going to give you eighteen points back on your purchase. Now that's eighteen dollars essentially that's going to go into your insider account that you can then turn around and use towards any purchase of anything else that you want in the gear shop. So, I mean, what's cool about it is like there's a lot of products, um, you know, backpacks, you know, sleeping pads, a lot of things that. You know, they, there's an MSRP on it. It's a map price, and you're going to pay that price no matter where you shop. Um, but if you're an insider and you shop with us, we're going to give you money back on your purchases that then you can use to add to, to pick up any other piece of equipment that you want. Does that also cover um, optics and tripods and spotting scopes and what have you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, spotting scopes, tripods, um, you know, all different kinds of optics. And, and it depends a little bit on, on how many points we can give back. You know, some companies are a little bit more stringent on, on their margins on it, but, like, we typically try to give as many points back as we can. We just really want to help our members uh, get good gear and, and then also incentivize them for being a member. Good stuff. Um, Trail, I know that you uh, answer calls uh, every day uh, from people that are looking at gear and what have you. Uh, you also write a lot of the strategy, strategy articles, um, and we're going to be talking about Utah today. Um, before we get into that, um, let's talk a little bit about your year last year and a recap. Um, did you have any hunts that were, you know, whether they be personal hunts or hunts that you helped out on that, that were memorable for you, kind of recap your year last year? Yeah. Um, I, had a, I had a great season. Um, you know, I started out uh, just archery deer hunting here in Utah. Um, I, I've been on that dedicated hunter program, which I think we've talked about before, but it was my last year on that program, so I started out uh, just archery hunting and kind of using that as an opportunity to, to scout. Um, didn't have any, any luck with deer, but I actually ended up killing, I, you know, I put an over-the-counter spike out tag in my pocket and, and, and ended up killing a spike, which was eating really, really well. We actually had chili last night from it, which was awesome. <laughs> so that was, that was a lot of fun. You know, from there I went uh, up to Wyoming and just on a general season elk and, and got to be a part of the the Born and Raised guys um, land of the free 2.0 project, which was really cool, and had an opportunity to hunt with those guys, and, and ended up taking a, a great six-point bull just on a general season hunt, and had a ton of fun with them. And then uh, finally, when I came back to Utah and had a few days to muzzleloader deer hunt, uh, I ended up finally turning up a buck that that I'd been after for a couple of years, and. Um, I don't know, Jay. Every once in a while, you get a gimme, and that's exactly what that was. It was just a straight gimme. I. <laughs> I uh, I had set a camera up in some low country to try to find him again this year, and uh, I was in transition between two different areas during the middle of the day, and I was driving my truck through some wide open country, and lo and behold, popped into a patch of pinion of juniper, and, and this buck that I'd been after for a couple of years jumped up on the side of the road. He was better right on the side of the road and ran across from me, and uh, I've told this story a lot, but it's kind of funny. I I uh, I just scrambled to try to get my muzzleloader. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a cap, obviously, but I honked the horn with my elbow trying to get it, get the gun and just made a complete, you know, mess of it and finally jumped out of the truck and I thought, you know, I just want to get a chance to look at this buck. So I took off running through the pinion of juniper just to see if I could finally 
you know, maybe get a glimpse out of him at least as he was going away. And uh, as luck would have it, for whatever reason, he held up and um, just stood there. And I came around a big tree, and he was standing there at 18 yards, and I dropped him. So that was pretty pretty dang cool. And he ended up being a great buck, um, just, just over 180. So that was a lot of fun. And then um, probably really the highlight for my year, to be honest, is uh, I got the, the opportunity to take my boy, who's 13 uh, this year, on a couple of of his hunts, first hunts, um, took him to Wyoming on an antelope hunt. Uh, we drew leftover tags and went up there and, and stayed in Casper, Wyoming. And, you know, we, we stayed just in an absolute dive hotel and watched playoff baseball in the evenings and ate junk food and, and hunted antelope. And, and he ended up taking a great, great antelope. And then uh, came back that next week and he actually got his first uh, mule deer, which was awesome. So that was probably like the highlight of my year was, was just getting a chance to, to see him in the field and spend some time with my kids. Awesome, man. That's awesome. So, Moving into 2019, um, on your agenda, do you have anything already scheduled or you have some tags, whether it be Utah or any other state that you're pretty convinced you're going to draw or anything you're pumped about? Yeah. Um, I guess the big one for me that I'm kind of hoping on or hoping for is uh, I'm sitting on 16 points for Mountain Goat here in Utah. And for the last few years, I've either just I've just picked the wrong unit and, you know, had I picked the right unit, I would have drawn, or I've been the odd guy out there in that top point pool for a permit, and I'm really hoping that this year is my year uh, that I finally draw a goat tag, and I keep seeing all the cool opportunities that Utah is adding for, for bow hunters, you know, whether that's the archery bison hunts or, you know, archery sheep hunts this year, and I would really like an opportunity to hunt mountain goat and then, you know, maybe get my name back in the hat for one of those other species. So that one's probably the one I'm, I'm most looking forward to. Um, I do have, I, I piggybacked points for uh, another guy that works here at Go Hunt, and, and we're hopefully going to go back and do general season in Wyoming uh, again. And then, you know, I've got a few other plans in the works, maybe an over-the-counter hunt in Idaho for elk or, or maybe some coos deer stuff down there in Arizona. But but those two are probably the two big ones for me. Awesome. As we move forward here, um, we're going to be talking about Utah, and the um, deadline, I believe, is 11 o'clock on March 7th. Um, that's the application deadline. Uh, for those people listening that maybe don't already apply, this, this podcast is going to be both elementary and go to a level of, you know, digging into the nitty-gritty. But um, from, a, from a broader perspective, talk a little bit about Utah, how they perform their draw, um, and, and how it all works, and then we'll kind of dive into some of the specifics uh, for elk and deer and some of the other stuff. Sure. Yeah, so you're spot on. The deadline is, is March 7th. That's rapidly approaching, coming right up on us. Um, you do have a slight extension to if you just want to buy points, and they'll give you to March uh, 21st if you just want to simply buy uh, bonus points or preference point uh, for general season deer. But, yeah, it's, it's coming right up. Um, kind of the... The key points, I guess I would say, is that you do have to buy a hunting license if you want to apply in Utah. Um, the cost of the hunting license is, you know, quite a bit cheaper than, than some of the other states. Um, 65 bucks for a non-resident, um, you know, $38 for combination for a resident, and, and just 34 for a hunting license for a resident. So it's not too expensive. And then uh, above and beyond that, you know, $10, $10 per species that you uh, apply for. Um, non-residents can apply for every species that they want to, you know, including desert and Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep. They can apply for bison, moose, goat, you know, general season deer, limited entry deer, elk, antelope, the whole lot. And they can uh, build points for those if they want to. Uh, and like I said, it's just $10 per application that you that they choose. But um, residents, they kind of have to pick and choose. Um, they can only apply for one limited entry hunt. It's either like limited entry deer or elk or antelope, and uh, they could also apply for one, one for the lifetime species, meaning you know moose, sheep, goat, or bison, and then they can also apply for uh, general season deer. Um, so they have to be a little bit, a little bit more picky. Um, Utah's works on a like a bonus point system for uh, limited entry species and and also for once in a lifetime species. So. Um, you get bonus points for every year that you uh, apply and are unsuccessful, or like I said, you can buy them. Um, 
they give half of the permits, so half of the permits for each hunt, to the individuals that apply with the most points, and then the other half of those are going to be randomly allocated uh, with respect to the, the number of points that you have. So essentially, the more bonus points you have, you know, the better odds because your, your name is going to go in the hat um, that many times. Um, mule deer, uh, general season mule deer is on a preference point system, and it's a true preference point system, meaning that the, the applicants with the most points get the permits. Um, so that's probably like a, I don't know, a 30,000-foot view of, of kind of how the, the system works. Um, did I miss yeah. out on anything there? Well, one question I have is how many permits can go to non-residents? Up to 10%, yeah, 10% of the okay. tags are allocated to non-residents, yep. Okay. And then talk a little bit about the general deer. Um, you, you mentioned the general deer season, and then you mentioned the um, dedicated uh, deer hunter program. Talk about both mm -hmm. of those, if you will. Yeah, so general season deer, uh, you can apply. You have five choices that you can apply for, and if you draw any of your five choices, um, they're going to... You're going to avoid your points, use your points. You want to be aware of that. Uh, I typically only tell I tell people to apply for really only the hunts that they're interested in, in, in drawing. It used to be that that was not the case, but that's the case now where they, they are going to avoid your points uh, if you if you draw a tag. Um, yeah, I mean, general season deer hunting is great. And, and like I said, it's a, a preference point system. It's like I tell people all the time, general season deer is the permit that you know, you, you ought to use and come out and go hunting every few years and, and use that as a justification to keep applying in Utah because some of the other hunts are so extremely hard to draw uh, that you can kind of use that general season opportunity as your, your reason to stay at it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, we have archery, muzzleloader, uh, rifle. Um, some of the, the units are actually having split rifle seasons now, so there's an early October rifle season and a, a late October uh, rifle season. Um, you know, Utah doesn't manage those general season hunts for, you know, giant bucks or anything like that. They typically manage those for a, an objective of a, a buck to doe ratio, which is typically, you know, maybe 15 to 17 or 18 to 21 bucks per 100 does. Um, so it's more of an opportunity type of hunt, but every year there's some really big bucks that are, that are killed on general season units. Um, yeah, and then you, you mentioned the Dedicated Hunter Program. That's kind of a cool program that uh, gives people the opportunity to hunt uh, all three or four potentially hunts. So the archery, the muzzleloader, and the rifle hunt. Um, and you're going to draw into that program for a specific unit, and you would be uh, enrolled for three years in that unit. Uh, and you can harvest two deer in three years, but you get it like I said, you get a chance to hunt all three of those. Um, in exchange for those opportunities, you're going to pay a, a higher price. It's about a thousand bucks for a non-resident. Um, you know, I think it's about 190, 195 for a resident. And then you also uh, are required to do some some service hours, so volunteer hours with the Division of Wildlife. Um, and once you meet those those requirements, you know, you, you get the chance to, to hunt those hunts. And I should note also that a non-resident, you know, they can also buy those hours at a, a cost of $20 an hour, and I think it's 32 hours that you're on the hook for. But, um, you know, I tell people all the time, if you've got the time to, to come out and hunt multiple seasons, it's, a, it's an awesome opportunity. It's the best chance that people have to kill a big buck on a general season unit. And just to be clear, the general season hunts, archery, muzzleloader, and rifle, if you have a general season permit, does that mean you can hunt all three seasons, or is that just the dedicated hunter deer program? That's just the dedicated hunter deer program. Yeah, if you, just for a general season tag, you actually have to apply for the specific, you know, season or weapon. Um, if you're a youth and you draw any weapon tag, uh, which is the rifle tag, you can hunt the archery and the, the muzzleloader. But everybody else, you know, adults, if you apply for a general season archery gear tag on the beaver, you know, that's your season, and that's it. Uh, you mentioned the Division of Wildlife. Um, I know the answer to this, but um, talk a little bit about your background. You actually used to work for the Department of, of Resources, I believe, or Fish and Game uh, with, with Utah. Talk a little bit about working for them and what you did. Yeah, um, I was a, a habitat biologist for the Division of Wildlife here in Cedar City, here in southern Utah, for about eight years. 
Um, I started with them, uh, let me think, I've been out of college a couple of years, but I, I, I got that uh, opportunity to go to work. And my job was primarily to work with my federal counterparts, you know, the BLM and the Forest Service. And Utah has a really cool program called the, the Utah Watershed Restoration Initiative, where these, you know, the state and the federal entities got together and decided that they were going to pool their funds. Uh, so that they could do large-scale landscape uh, projects. So they went from doing, you know, bits and pieces and projects that were maybe 100 to 200 acres to being able to do projects that were maybe three and 4,000 acres at a time. And uh, I came on kind of, oh, I'd been in, in effect for maybe a few years, but I kind of came in uh, it was, as it was really starting to ramp up and, um, yeah, so I got to design, work with, with the BLM to design these habitat improvement projects. And, you know, if you look at Utah for, I think, well, the last two years, we've, we've kind of seen a dip on our deer herds. But prior to that, we were the only state that was, you know, growing mule deer. And a lot of the habitat work that I was doing when I worked there uh, was primarily targeted at sagebrush step uh, restoration. So we were looking at you know, revitalizing those winter ranges for mule deer. And, you know, in effect, we were, were helping a lot of species, elk included, and, and pronghorn too. But, um, yeah, that's, that's where my background is. And, you know, I love I loved that job. Uh, I love the, the opportunity I had to work on the landscape. But ultimately, I also really love to hunt. And <laughs> um, that's kind of what it boiled down to is this gave me the opportunity to be a little bit more involved in the hunting industry and then also um, – I have to work on Chris and Lorenzo pretty hard, but they do give me some, some pretty good opportunities to hunt in the fall. That's good stuff. Uh, talk about in Utah, if you have a drawn a tag and for whatever reason you can't use it, uh, I know Arizona has the point guard program, but I believe in Utah you can also give a, a tag back and, and keep your points, I believe. Yeah, you can. Uh, if you draw a tag and you decide that you can't use it or – you know, there's a lot of guys that will draw a tag and they waited a lot of years that they, they spend those early summer months scouting and they haven't turned up maybe something that, that's going to meet their expectations. You can actually turn that tag back in and uh, get refunded um, your money and get your points back. So uh, as long as you turn it into 30 days prior to your season starting, you can actually get both. Um, if you wait uh, till like that 24-hour mark, then they will actually just get your points back and you'll eat the cost of the permit. But, yeah, that's a a cool opportunity that Utah provides you. And then, I mean, just so that tag doesn't get wasted, they have a, an alternate list. So they'll go down through the list of individuals that were next uh, in line for that permit, and they'll call those individuals and say, hey, you know, we just had somebody turn a tag back in. Do you want to go hunting? So that happens all the time too. Trill, I want to dive into Utah elk, but before we do that, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider. You heard trail talking about the insider you heard him talking about the draw odds uh the filtering 2.0 system they are the most accurate draw odds on the market today uh they also being an insider member like trail was talking about you have the ability to get those points when you buy uh a product and on your next purchase uh he, he talked about 179 dollar um air mattress you know getting 18 points back so for your next purchase you would actually save 18 dollars um, it's a really great program with the Insider. If you guys use the uh, gohunt.com forward slash jscott uh, promo code, if you go to that uh, URL, gohunt.com forward slash jscott, you're actually going to get a $50 GoHunt gear shop gift card. I also want to thank GoHunt uh, as well. They sponsor the optics department, uh, sponsors uh, my podcast, and Cody Nelson, who's been a friend of mine for 20-plus years, uh, has been in the industry selling optics for a long time. He is the optics manager at GoHunt.com. And Cody, since he's been with GoHunt, has been uh, doing a great job of taking care of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners. There's really not a day that goes by without someone sending me a direct message or a text or an email saying, you know, Cody went above and beyond to take care of their needs, talk to them after hours, talk to them on the weekend, uh, you know, followed up with calls. He's just very good at customer service. Uh, the Go Hunt Gear Shop, the optics department, is a sponsor of this podcast. And if 
if you give Cody a call at 702-847-8747 and go to extension 2, that rings directly to him, or you can email him at optics at gohunt.com. I want to thank GoHunt for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Kuyu. That's K-U-I-U.com, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Uh, that is the uh, backcountry gear that I wear on all of my hunts. Uh, I also want to thank uh, Phonescope.com. Use the JScott19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. CanyonCoolers.com, based right out of Flagstaff, Arizona. If you use the JScott19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. And then OnXMaps.com, you're actually going to get a 20% discount if you use the JScott19 promo code if you go to OnXMaps.com. Trail, with all, after that long spiel, um, I want to dive into uh, Utah elk. And mm -hmm. in general, Utah elk 10 years ago uh, was probably the best you know, elk state, even better than Arizona, arguably. Um, talk a little bit about the presence of, of elk in Utah and where they are at in their cycle. And I might add, Utah is your home state. So talk a little bit mm -hmm. about, um, you know, having the work at the Department of Wildlife and what have you, you have a pretty good inside uh, feel on it. I, I know, I think their age class, uh, you know, maturity level of bulls has kind of come down and overall trophy quality. But talk a little bit about the state that it's in. Yeah, and, and I would agree. I think, I mean, you're... You're from Arizona, and you, you kind of, I think you would probably agree, I think we've kind of followed suit, and it seems like the quality overall has uh, trickled down a bit uh, in the last 10 years. It definitely isn't what it was in, you know, maybe 2007, 8, 9, somewhere in that time frame. And I, I think it's just cyclical. I mean, that's how these things go, and you know, the, the, the way the state manages uh, elk herd, our elk herds and, and opportunities in Utah is always going to kind of be that way, but, um, and, and I can touch on that, but kind of how they manage our, our limited entry opportunities is by an age class. So they give uh, each unit an age class uh, objective, and in Utah, uh, those are going to be like four and a half to five, five and a half to six. Uh, six and a half to seven and, and seven and a half to eight uh, years old. So they want to kind of manage the harvest within those units to meet uh, the age class objective. And then they average those over a three-year period, and, and then they kind of adjust their permits one way or the other depending on where those age classes come in. Um, and they always ask people, you know, if you harvest a bull to, to send in a tooth, and that's how they actually end up getting that data. Um, so I think it's kind of cyclical. I mean, you'll, you'll have periods where maybe it's going to be down, and, and like I said, it takes that three-year average for maybe that to tip below the point where you're going to see a reduction in tags, which ultimately is going to increase that, that age class objective and, and the quality overall. Um, but, I mean, as far as, you know, opportunity, it's, it's still tough to draw a tag. There's still some big bulls up there. There are pockets of, uh, you know, units that are on the uptick for sure. And, uh, you know, we've had some, some fires and some habitat work that I think is going to ultimately help. And then, you know, we, we haven't even talked. I'm sure we will at some point. It's just the uh, exceptional moisture year that we're having right now here in Utah. We went from having the driest year in three decades to, you know, a phenomenal year so far. I was just looking at the snowpack totals and, here in Cedar City, where I'm at, uh, I think we're like at 100 and, you know, pushing 170% of, of annual precepts. So, and, and the entire southern end of the state, really every part of the state is, is over, um, you know, well over 100%. So that should bode well for uh, antler development and growth throughout the spring and, and the summer months. So I'm, I'm optimistic that it will be a pretty good year. But, I mean, as far as... Um, you know, trophy quality, we're we're not what we used to be, but we're still pretty dang good. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, when you talk about 170% of normal, is there any fear at all for winter kill, or does Utah typically, ha there's plenty of room for those animals to get to lower elevations and, and not typically see a lot of winter kill in the elk? 
Yeah, I don't think that we're going to see a lot of uh, winter kill. Um, we've got a lot of good winter range, and we haven't had these long, you know, prolonged cold snaps where you would see really hard crusted snows where the animals were really pawned to, to get the vegetation. Um, it, elk are a much hardier, hardier animal. Typically, when we talk about winter kill, you know, we're, we're more concerned with mule deer, but, um, you know, elk are hardy, and they can both browse and, and uh, graze. Um, you know, in the winter months, so they may hit some of that mahogany and, and some of that brush that's above the snow line. But yeah, we haven't had, you know, we haven't had those real long, pro, prolonged cold snaps. So I actually think it's going to be pretty dang good. Um, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm really optimistic that the the growth this spring is going to be excellent. And then, provided we get added moisture through March and April and, and maybe some spring rain, I think it could be exceptional this year. That's awesome. I'm excited. Uh, let's let's dive into the units specifically um, and just go alphabetically through the units. And, and some you may spend more time on, some you just may breeze through, and some you may say, I, I, I don't know, I don't have any experience. So feel free if you don't have experience, just say move on. Um, and let's just go through these alphabetically and talk a little bit about um, what you know about the unit, uh, what someone should expect, uh, you know, size of bull and, and range of bull and what have you, you know, in, in other words, you know, 300 to 330 or, you know, three, this is a 350 plus unit or whatever, um, mm -hmm. or no, uh, very rarely bulls over 300, you know, talk a little bit about that. Um, and we'll go down through each unit. Uh, so let's just start with the beaver, uh, the beaver unit there uh, that I hunted in 2016. I know you, you, uh, you like that unit as well, but talk about the beaver. Yeah, I love that beaver unit. It's it's probably one of the best trophy units uh, in the state by far. I would put it right up there in the in the top three. Um, you know, for sure, there's going to be some big bulls available this year on the beaver. Um, I know that they just flew flew the beaver in the last couple, well, probably three weeks ago. And you know, I've still got some friends that are that are biologists that are on those flights and, and just kind of talking to them. Uh, I know that they saw some exceptional bulls that, you know, probably probably would have been, you know, that much better last year provided that they that it had some vegetation and growth. But, you know, I think this year with a good moisture year and them, them coming back and being one year older and more mature, uh, I'm, I'm very optimistic that the beaver is going to have a great year for, for trophy bulls. Um, you know, we have it listed, I think, at eight, you know, 380. That's definitely at the top end. I do think that there will be some 380 class bulls available this year on the beaver. Uh, I would say most people are probably going to be looking, you know, most of your bulls are going to be in that three, you know, 20 to up to 350 range. Um, you know, the herd bulls are definitely going to be, be big. But, yeah, I, I absolutely love that unit. There's a big fire that burned, the, the Twitchell fire that burned uh, there on the north end. And, you know, there's some phenomenal growth regrowth and man the winter range looks excellent they've done tons of habitat work on that unit um it's got rough country and some hidey holes that can hide a bull and i i'm sure that you know that uh, <laughs> but yeah i i i love that unit and and i think uh i think it's going to be a good year up there for sure okay book cliffs bitter creek south yeah the book cliffs has kind of been you know just Static, I would say. Uh, I would say I, it's been quite a while since I've seen a real big bull come off the book cliffs. Uh, I, I still think the trophy potential's, you know, probably in that 340 range. Um, you know, maybe something a little bit bigger uh, on a good year. There's plenty of elk up there, and I mean, ultimately, it's just really cool country. There's there's a good population of elk, but you've got these big, you know, plateau, you know sagebrush and pinion, pinion and juniper tripe terrain and then you've got these deep canyons and it's just some really really cool country uh you know i don't know that you probably kill a bull of a lifetime up there you could um but but probably not but ultimately it'd just be a fun hunt and you know good access um you know you're going to see a lot of elk and, and have the opportunity to harvest a, a nice bull probably just not a giant what about the book cliffs little creek roadless yeah that one i really like um and I think I've mentioned it before, but I had a bear tag in there uh, a few years ago, which is just a spot and stock bear tag that was uh, October, November time frame. And I spent 10 days in there backpacking around by myself trying to find a bear. And I, I couldn't couldn't turn up a bear, but, man, I had a riot watching bulls. <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, I think I think the potential is is a lot better in there uh, in terms of trophy potential, just because you got a lot of country there that a bull can roam and, and get some age to him. So, you know, maybe up to three sixty, three seventy class. Um, I would say as far as rut goes in the state of Utah, that definitely has the potential to be one of the best rut hunts. Uh, and I think you might have the, the, the chance on that archery hunt to, you know, work with some rut, rutting bulls where typically that archery hunt in, in our state anyway is too early to really have a good strong rut. Um, and I, I think there's just less pressure in there and, and those bulls tend to rut a little bit better. So, you know, if you're looking for a good rut hunt, excellent uh, early rifle and, and muzzleloader hunt, um, you know, I wouldn't hesitate to, to hunt that unit if you've got the, the means to get one out. Because it is, it is fairly yeah. remote. What about the Box Elder Grouse Creek and the Box Elder Pilot Mountain? Um, you know, I don't know a ton about that, uh, but I will, I will tell you that I spent some time talking to a few gentlemen this last week at the Hunt Expo about those units, and you know, these guys were saying that they're starting to see a few better bulls in there, and and those guys were showing me some pictures and and saying, hey, you know, I think this is on the uptick. So uh, other than just maybe like some hearsay and just kind of a, a growing murmur, I guess, people talking about those units, I think there there might be the opportunity for a little bit bigger, bigger bull. Um, but typically you're, you're talking maybe 330 range for, for those two units with maybe the chance of something uh, a little bit bigger. And uh, I also know that those herds are a little bit migratory, so they're going to move back and forth a little bit between – uh, Nevada and, and Utah, um, you know, private land's an issue in those units. It can get a little bit dicey, so you're going to be, you know, be be prepared to, to use a map and a GPS with some land ownership layers if you decide to tackle that unit, or either of those units, to be honest. How about Cash South? Yeah, Cash South is another one of those that I think is kind of still down. Um, you know, they used to kill some big bulls, and, and they probably still will, maybe one or two. But for the most part, I think you're looking at a, you know, hunt for maybe a 330, 340 type of bull. Um, you know, the habitat's there and the elk herd's there. Um, I actually like Cash South for, for a late hunt. Um, so if you're looking for a late hunt with maybe potentially some better odds, there's a lot of uh, canyon country up there that you can really put your optics to work. Uh, there's a lot of steep country, especially out there on those faces above Cache Valley, that you can you can use to, to pick apart with your optics, and that could be a fun late hunt, in, in my opinion. Um, I went to school up there at Utah State and spent a ton of time shed hunting in the winter, so I know there's some bigger bulls in there, and, and there's a lot of elk. So, you know, maybe think think about Cache Late for a, an easier draw hunt. Okay, Central Mountains, Manti and Nebo. Yeah, so Manti is our largest, you know, one of our largest elk herds in the state. And as far as quality goes, it's it's about it's pretty average. But you could, you know, anytime you've got that many elk, um, and it's got a you know good bull to cow ratio. Anytime you have that many, you could you can grow a big bull. So you know, it doesn't surprise me ever when people pull a three fifty or three sixty uh, class bull off that unit. Um, that's a fun hunt, man. Good access, tons of great elk out habitat. And, and really, you know, I've had people call me and say, hey, I drew this Manti tag, where should I focus my effort? And it's really hard to pin down one spot because there can be elk from one end of that unit to the other, and they can be from the bottoms off the east side, you know, to the berms that run up into those some of those canyons to clear up on top, you know, up in the pines and, and the aspens. So um, diverse habitat. Just a just a really cool fun hunt. Um, also, that might be a unit that people would look to for potentially a little bit better odds, just because you know they, there are so many elk and they give more permits there. Um, the Nebo, I think, is kind of on the uptick. Um, you've got some remote country in the Nebo. You still got a decent herd of elk, and you know, it seems like that herd's growing a little bit. I think if you put your effort in and you maybe get away from the roads and some of the crowds, which you can definitely do in that Nebo, uh, I think, you know, you might have the chance at something a little bit better, maybe in that 340, 350 class. Fillmore Pavant. Yeah, the Pavant's a great unit. And, then, I mean, it's world-renowned. People, you know, they know the Pavant straight away when you talk about Utah elk hunting. And I still think it's probably one of the four best units in the state, maybe towards the bottom end of that spectrum. Um you know, I think we list the the trophy potential at about 380. Uh, I think it is down a little bit in the last few years, but 
that mountain will never, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if it kicked out a few real just giants, and, and it always can. Um, there's some rough country on that unit. You've got some big remote pockets and canyons, especially off that northeast end. Um, and that's another unit. You can find out from the flats off that east side, you know, west side, all the way up up on top. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, 370 maybe uh, on the Pavant with, with maybe it being down a little bit. LaSalle. Oh, man, I don't know a ton about the LaSalle's. Um, I, I'd, probably, I'd probably skip that one. I mean, I, I know generally trophy potentials maybe in that three, 330, 340 range, but I'm not the uh, the authority on those units by, by any means. The Monroe. Yeah, the Monroe is probably one of the funnest elk hunts in the West, if you can draw that tag. There's just awesome elk populations. Um, you know, we have spike hunting. I think <laughs> I've talked about it. I think you're a big fan of it, right? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I, don't, I can't even understand what they're even thinking about when they think that harvesting one-year-old bulls is a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and I say that facetiously because I know that you're not a fan. Um, but they actually... They turned off the spike hunt. They quit spike hunting that unit several years ago to try to recruit some more bulls into that population, and that was one of the big changes in the elk uh, hunts this year. They're actually putting spike hunting back onto the Monroe, uh, which is a little bit a little bit disappointing. Um, you know, they're going to kill a bunch of spikes up there like they did, you know, the last times that they hunted that just because that unit's so accessible. Uh, there's roads, you know, roads or ATV trails over most, most of that unit, but you know, always the opportunity for a big bull. That's another unit that I would note that uh, if you're looking for an archery hunt where there's a potential for a really good rut, it seems like they rut really good on the Monroe. Um, you know, bulls are real visible. It's a great unit to glass. Um, if I had to put, like, a fun stamp on a hunt, that's probably it. I mean, it, it has to be one of the most fun elk hunts in the state up there on the Monroe. The next unit, I'm sure, is one that you hope that I just skip and ac accidentally miss, but um, Mount Dutton. Yeah, I've never, never heard of it. So, no. um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I love that unit, and uh, you, you probably picked up on it earlier in the conversation when I said there's some units or pockets in the state that are definitely on the uptick, and that's one of them. Um, they increased the age class objective on that unit, uh, and they decreased the number of permits over about the last three or four years. And as much as I hate to say it, you know, and the word let the word get out, but um, it, it's definitely on the uptake in terms of trophy quality, and it's uh, it's coming back. And I think they're definitely going to kill some big bulls. Um, I would say, as far as hunts go, it's a tough archery hunt. Um, it's a great late hunt, and it's a really good, you know, early rifle and muzzleloader hunt, obviously. Seems like the muzzleloader hunt up there on that unit is, is always good. Seems like there's always a almost a stronger rut on the muzzleloader hunt than the rifle hunt, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, it's a, but it's, it's a one of the it's one of the roughest units in Utah, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's rough, and there's some big country. Um, huge fire back in the early 2000s that burned, you know, 80,000 acres of that unit. It's really open terrain, and, you know, there's days that you sit up there in those big canyons off the east side, and you look across, and, you know, you see, you know, 20 bulls or whatever, and you think, man, they're just right there. But in reality, they're a day's hike away um, to get over to them. And so it can be it can be challenging to hunt because it is rough and, and physically demanding. But absolutely, it's a, it's a great unit and one that I would say is on the upswing. Nine-mile anthro. Yeah, the Nine Mile Anthro, um, you know, I don't know a ton about it, to be honest. Um, maybe 330, 340 potential. Uh, I'd say it's a, a decent early hunt, um, you know, muzzleloader, early rifle, uh, archery. I think if you're going to kill a big bull, uh, at least in a lot of people that I've talked to, it seems like some of the bigger bulls come off of that late hunt. And uh, it's interesting because it sounds like some of those bigger bulls are coming off that real low country as they move out through the, the desert flats and, and pinion juniper stuff so um that might be something to think about if you're looking for a, maybe an easier to draw hunt uh with a potential for a slightly bigger bull maybe think about that late rifle hunt in that unit more slope three corners man i i'm just gonna skip over i don't know a ton about that jay <laughs> okay 
Penguich Lake? Yeah, the Penguich Lake is uh, is interesting. Um, you know, 80, 70, 80,000 acre fire here a couple of years ago. Um, and then now we're having, like I said, a great moisture year. Uh, anytime that you've got that many acres that burned and you have good feed popping back up with moisture, it's bound to generate some big bulls. Um, a lot of elk. Uh, I would not be surprised at all if you start to see some movement from other units like the beaver or the Dutton, uh, some of those surrounding areas that, that start to pick up on that feed and start moving over there uh, at least, you know, late season looking for, for good feed and, and probably even early season, to be honest. So uh, the Penguin Lake is another unit that I would say is going to be on the on the uptick, and, and they also did change that age class objective on that unit a few years ago along with the, the Dutton. So um, it's not going to shock me one bit if you start to see some big bulls coming off the Penguin Lake. Um I would say maybe 350, 360 potential. And, and like I said, it's not going to shock me if they kill some bigger stuff in that 370, 380 range. Pontagon. Yeah, Pontagon's tough. Um, just not that many elk overall. Um, scattered from the very top to clear out through the scoot and pop bench and, and even some of the low country. Uh, not a bunch of elk and not great trophy potential. Uh, it's been a few years since I've seen a big bull get harvested on the Pontagon. Every now and then one will pop up, but I would say, you know, trophy potential maybe in that 315 to 320 range, um, you know, maybe maybe up to 330. But, you know, draw that if you draw that tag, just go into it with reasonable expectations. But it's going to be a tough hunt. It's going to be hot probably, and there's probably not going to be that many elk. Plateau boulder. Yeah, the boulder, uh, another of the best, I would say, arguably one of the top, you know, one or two uh, units. Um, just a great elk herd. The nature of that unit is always going to hide some bulls. It's, you know, plateau country up on top, and then you've got some rugged canyons that, that pile off uh, both the west and the east sides that are pretty heavily timbered. Um if there's a unit that was next to the Penguin Lake that was is probably primed and ready for some sort of fire at some point in the future, I'd say it's probably the boulder. Um, <laughs> but I, it wouldn't shock me at all if they, they get one rolling here in the next few years. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's always going to hide some big bulls, and, and a bull can get some age class to them, and they also manage that for that highest age class objective. Uh, I would say it, it's going to be a great hunt. Uh, up there on the boulder this year, and it's not going to shock me if they kill some 400-inch bulls. Um, you know, I would say maybe in that 380 class, it'd be more realistic for maybe somebody to actually see a bull, um, and then you know, plenty of bulls in that 330 to 350 class uh, and range. Um, I will say, I, I think I mentioned to you before, but my wife drew a tag there on the boulder on her first year applying a couple of years ago. Um, a late tag, and I would tell people, don't be afraid of that late tag. Um, you know, you have to work a little bit, and, and you'll have to be diligent and do some scouting, but there's some great bulls available on that late tag under with some easier odds. Fish Lake. Yeah, Fish Lake's real similar to the Manti, uh, one of our largest elk herds. Uh, no real change, I would say, in the Fish Lake, uh, Thousand Lake area. Um, you know, some of the the most pristine and beautiful elk habitat. You want to hunt in an area that's just got that traditional aspen and pine and those rolling sagebrush meadows that the Fish Lake is that. Uh, I would say trophy potential maybe in that 330, 340 range uh, with a potential for maybe something 350 plus. Uh, again, it's a little bit like the Manti. Anytime you have an elk herd that large and a good, you know, decent bull to cow ratio, you're going to have a, a handful of bulls to get some age to them. And, and like I said, there'll always be a few 350 type bulls. San Juan. Yeah, so the San Juan is, is right there at the top of the heap too with the boulder. Um, and, and again, it's, it's kind of a product of habitat and an age class objective and management for that herd. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be good again this year. I would say, you know, potential for something in that 370, 380 range with, with always the chance for something bigger. Um, super high harvest success. So, you know, archery, I was looking at the harvest success, 80%. That's super high for even a limited entry unit here in Utah. 
So you could have a just an awesome archery hunt up there. You know, great muzzleloader hunt, great early rifle. Um, might get a little bit tougher on that late rifle hunt, to be honest. But um, you know, one of the best units, one of the toughest units, probably in the West to draw. Uh, South Slope Diamond Mountain. Mm, yeah, that's another one up there in that corner. Maybe if I get to hunt Mountain Goat up there in that area this year, I'll get to know those two units a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> Southwest Desert. Yeah, so the Southwest Desert's one of those that uh, they manage for an older age class objective that just doesn't seem to be, you know, meeting it um, in the last few years. It's been a number of years since I've seen a real big bull come off the, the Southwest Desert. Uh, plenty of elk from all the reports I've got, you know, they continue to be over-objective, uh, but in terms of trophy quality, it just seems to be limping behind what it ought to be or what it has been in years past. Um, I would say, you know, maybe trophy potential in that 340 to 350 range. Um, you know, that's a, a unique unit for us. It's a lot more like some of those Nevada units. It's mostly desert-type terrain, sagebrush and, and pinyon and juniper, and then you've got these long stringers of mountains that kind of intersect those big sagebrush valleys. Um, it can be super hot out there. It can be a dang tough early archery hunt uh, unless you can find some little hidden pocket of water and kind of use that to your advantage to either sit, water, or, or ambush-style hunt. Um, you know, good hunt for, for early rifle and muzzleloader can be a pretty decent late rifle hunt if you cover a bunch of ground and do a lot of glassing. But, um, you know, I would say keep your expectations maybe a little bit lower than what they have been uh, in years past. Wasatch. Yeah, the Wasatch is another interesting one. Um, you know, they're chronically over-objective on that unit. It's one of the largest elk herds in the state, along with the Fish Lake and the Manti. Um, a lot of elk. And anytime you've got that many elk, you're going to have some big bulls in the population. Um, the interesting thing is, it seems like late, those elk really pull off into the private land and, and into the, the areas that aren't accessible for hunters. Um, so it seems like that's probably why they're chronically over-objective. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, good early hunt, whether that's archery or, or early rifle or muzzleloader. Uh, it can be a tough late hunt, like I said, to, to find a big bull. Um, there's some nasty country on the Wasatch, and there's some thick, thick oak brush and vegetation up there. So I would say, you know, be prepared for a, not an easy hunt by any means, but... Uh, I would say, you know, 330, 340 class for the most part and, and always a potential for something maybe 350 and slightly better. Um, West Desert, Deep Creek. Yeah, the West Desert's up there uh, in the kind of middle of the state uh, on the Nevada border. And every once in a while they'll pull a giant out of there, but most often it's a bull that it's kind of migrated out of the, the reservation. I think the Go Shoot Reservation sits right there on the edge of it. And uh, if those bulls don't come out of that, there there typically isn't a lot of good mature bulls within that unit. And, and it's another one that they manage for a high age class that's, you know, chronically under their objective. And mostly that's, that's the reason why is just because those bulls hole up in the reservation and don't come out. Um, it's remote and it's clear out there in the middle of nowhere and it's hot and it's mostly desert terrain. Um, I would say, you know, potential for maybe something 350, um, you know, probably smaller to be honest. And, you know, every four or five years, maybe a giant wanders out of the reservation and, and gets killed. But it's it's definitely not an easy hunt, and it, it's probably not a hunt um, that's going to meet the age class objective for that unit, which, you know, they've got it at seven and a half to eight. So, you know, expectations, right? Just have reasonable expectations yep. if, you go, if you go that route. That, co that covers right there the limited entry units. Um, but I get questions a lot on the OTC elk units in Utah. Can you talk a little bit about the over-the-counter hunt? I know it's extremely difficult to harvest, but talk about it just so we cover it. Yeah, so we have a, a number of units that they're just, they, they call them any bowl that you can just buy a permit over the counter and go out and go hunting. Um, most of those units, they are managing to, to have a very low population of elk. You know, either they have depredation-type issues, 
you know, or you know, maybe they want to focus on you know other species management for those units, so they they want to reduce the number of total elk on that unit. So for the most part, they're dang tough. Um, and, and I tell people all the time if they call me up and say I want to go on an over-the-counter elk hunt in Utah, you know, what do you think? I say, you know, really your better opportunity is to, to pick up a spike tag because you know you're going to see elk every day. You're going to see some big bulls, and then maybe have the opportunity to take a spike, but. Either that, or, or go to a state like, or uh, excuse me, either Idaho or or Colorado, just because those opportunities are so much better. But um, of the units that that you can hunt, um, you know, there are a couple uh, right there along the the Wasatch that seem to be you know okay. Whether that's the Canis, uh unit or uh, the Uinas, which is kind of the go-to. There is a lot of elk in the Uinas, and they are over-objective. Um, also, in saying that, though, that's, you know, one of the most remote areas in Utah. So you're talking a wilderness backpack-style hunter or horseback. Um, so, yeah, I would say those two. And then uh, in my region down here in southern Utah, uh, probably your best opportunity is the Zion. And, you know, the Zion unit has some private land access issues, especially in the summer range. So you're talking mostly archery, um, you know, early rifle hunts in October. Uh, you might have a little bit better luck later uh, in the season if they move off into some of that Sands country or some of that canyon country where you've got a little bit of public land access. But, um, you know, a good number of elk up there just can be dang tough to hunt uh, with access and private land issues. And then... You know, above and beyond that, there's there's not a ton of other really good opportunities. Um, there's very few elk on the Pine Valley, very few um, in the Henrys or, or the San Rafael North. Um, you know, they'll kill a few in that nine-mile Range Creek range, and there are some, some good bulls in that country, but then you're also talking uh, private land, public land issues and that, and you're going to have to get pretty creative and, and pretty... Uh, you know, motivated to get into some of that country if you want to hunt those for, for over-the-counter elk. Terrell, let's shift. Um, thanks for covering elk. Let's shift over to deer, and let's talk about the Henrys and uh, the Pontagant and talk about both of those units. They're kind of the best of the best for Utah for deer. Um, and then I want to talk about some of the other uh, limited-entry hunts um, that might be sleepers that you think, uh, you know, maybe a late muzzleloader hunt or something that you might, um, fill us in on, but talk about the, how the Henrys and the Pontagon are doing. Yeah, um, and I'll touch on the Henrys briefly. I, I don't think there's a lot of change in the Henrys. Um, I think it should be a really good year on the Henrys, to be honest. Uh, they killed some good bucks last year. I think it was down a little bit, but I think it was down pretty much everywhere across the West in, in terms of trophy potential. We just didn't get the moisture for the feed, so... I'd say it was down a smidgen, but uh, overall, I would I would expect a really good hunt again this year on the Henrys. You know, you're always going to kill a, a handful of 200-inch bucks, and and there's going to be several bucks in that 185 to to 200-inch range for sure. Um, <clears throat> the Pontagon's kind of interesting in that in 2017, we went from just an absolutely historic year for for that unit in terms of trophy quality. I I mean, when you looked at the bucks that the archery hunters killed on that unit, it was just almost unbelievable, just so many big bucks. And even bucks in the 220 to 240 range um, built some giants. And then, you know, you turn around this year, uh, 2018, and it was one of the toughest years. Um, you know, I talked to uh, I talked to my, the meat processor, uh, Nays Meats over there that I go to take everything to in Panguitch, and he was saying he was seeing bucks coming in that were, you know, 160, 170 class bucks off the Ponce Contest last year. So it was a tough year, and I, I think a lot of it was, you know, directly related to, to feed. Um, it is more of a desert, you know, pinion and juniper sagebrush type terrain, so I, I think it probably got hit, you know, more so than some of the other units, but... Um, this year, I mean, I, I'm optimistic it would be it will be a good year. I think there were a lot of those bucks that probably didn't get shot because they weren't what people were expecting. That were you know should have been bigger bucks than what they were. That hopefully this year with good feed will will come back and really blow up. So, um, you know, I'm a little bit on the fence. It's probably a little early to say exactly how good it'll be, but uh, I think it'll be a decent year on the ponds. Talk a little bit about these um, archery deer, the limited entry archery deer, and some of these 
maybe potential um, sleeper muzzleloader hunts uh, in some of these units to maybe slide in and find a good buck. Yeah. Um, so as, as far as like the other limited entry units that are, that could be a you know potential sleeper, uh, I would probably throw in uh, the Fillmore Oak Creek. And I don't know how much of a sleeper it, it is anymore. Uh, there's not a ton of deer on that unit, and, and that whole unit pretty much burned a few years ago. So it's, you know, it's mostly uh, a giant burn scar. Uh, real glassable, which is great because it kind of opened up that unit, and people can, you know, get in there and glass. Uh, it, it can be dang tough hunting, and there's not a ton of deer up there, but I, I think there's always the opportunity for a big buck, especially after that burn. Um, so that's probably the kind of third on the list, to be honest, as far as trophy potential goes. Um, you know, book cliffs can be decent. Um, you know, not a, a ton of big bucks up there, but a lot of deer could be a fun hunt. Uh, West Desert Vernon could throw out a giant deer every now and then, and that's another hunt. It's mostly rolling sagebrush and, and painted juniper, but that could be a fun hunt, especially with a bow, I think. Um you know, probably not going to kill the buck of a lifetime, but that could, every once in a while, man, you just never know, big buck pops up out there. Um, the other one I'd probably throw in that, kind of that group is, is being slightly better than than uh, than average, it might be the San Juan Elk Ridge, and they do kill some, some nice bucks out of those units. Um, and then I think you, you alluded to maybe some of these general season uh, limited entry late muzzleloader hunts, so they're they're late season muzzleloader hunts that take place on a on a general season unit, and uh, you know they're they're limited entry hunts. So if you apply for them, you're going to burn your points. The thing about those is they they take place a couple of days after the uh, the rifle general season hunts. So you know you're hunting bucks that have been hunted all year, uh, all the seasons, and and right on the tail end of the uh, rifle hunt. So you know keep that in mind. Um, but I think. There's a couple sleepers in there, I think, if you have a lot of time to scout, is what I would say. I still got you? That's good stuff. Yeah, that's good stuff there, Sorry. Trail. Um, I was having a coughing attack. Um, no worries. We've covered elk and we've covered deer. Um, obviously, you've got a whole other um, spectrum of animals Talk a little bit about the beauty of Utah. I was a little frustrated with Arizona's draw that we just got finished with. Um, you know, you, you enter for elk, and then you've got to go back in and, you know, enter for antelope. And I like how Utah, you can basically just check down the list. It's a real easy, user-friendly um, application. And if you're going to buy the license for 10 bucks, you might as well apply for everything, wouldn't you think? Yeah. Yeah, when, pe when people call me in and they're like, oh, I want to apply in Utah, but I don't I don't think I really want to go on a hunt. Maybe I, I'm just going to buy a point. Uh, I always <laughs> I want to reach through the phone and just say, no, don't, you know, don't do it. Unless you can absolutely not afford the time or the money uh, for the permit, don't get a point. Apply for a hunt because you never know. You know, just like my wife, first year applying, she draws a boulder elk tag. You really never know when you're going to draw. So always apply. Speaking about elk, I keep going back to elk, but with <laughs> the moisture that we've had, I know, would it surprise you if Utah, you know, kicked out two or three 400-inch bulls, or do you think it could be a year where they could kick out, you know, four, five, six, seven, you know, 400-inches? Yeah, I, I think that this year it wouldn't surprise me if it kicked out, you know, more in that six, seven range um, than than a few. Uh, and I say that because it, it's kind of lined up to, to maybe be a really perfect storm, just in my opinion. You, you had a year last year that was pretty dry, and you definitely had a pile of bulls that didn't reach their potential. And you probably had a few of those that got passed on for, you know, for whatever reason, and maybe they made it through the hunt. You know, you, you cycle forward into a year like this where we're having really good growth. Um, we'll have really good vegetation. Uh, I think there's the potential for some of those bulls uh, that should have been a little bit bigger to really blow up this year. So um, just in the kind of the early indications and people that I've talked to spend a lot of time out on the ground, I think there's some bulls that made it through that were in that 360, 370, 380 class that with a good growth year could really blow up. So 
Um, personally, it's not going to surprise me if, if it kicks out a few more of those types of bulls this year than it has in years past. Sounds good. Well, Trail, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us about uh, Utah. I want to give you a chance, uh, you know, if there's anything that I missed, say, on the Go Hunt Insider or the Go Hunt Gear Shop um, that you can, you know, promote, uh, please do so or any final concluding thoughts. And it's always great having you on the podcast. Yeah. No, I, I totally appreciate you having me on. It's a great opportunity for me to, to get a catch-up with you and, and really talk about, you know, Go Hunt and the Insider. Um I think if I had to close out with anything, it would just be that I'm, you know, we're so appreciative appreciative of our insiders. You know, wholeheartedly, we we value your membership. Um, if you ever have questions or comments or concerns or feedback, like don't hesitate to shoot us an email or reach out to me via, you know, telephone. Um, you know, I I am super busy. I get a lot of calls and a lot of emails, but I get back to all of them. It may take me a couple of days, but I try to return every single. Uh, email or or phone call that I get, and uh, ultimately I get a ton of satisfaction. That was one of the best things about that Hunt Expo is I had the opportunity to have, you know, guys come up into the booth and say, hey, you know, remember me? You gave me some ideas on a cash late elk hunt, and you know, have the guy whip out his phone and show me some pictures of the bulls he harvested, and you know, I get personally a ton of satisfaction of having been able to been you know even a little bit helpful. So. You know, don't hesitate to, to reach out to me if you got questions. And, you know, ultimately we really appreciate our partnership with you, Jay, and all that you do for us. So that's prob- probably the only things I would say to close out. Awesome, buddy. Well, it was great seeing you, even though it was short at the Expo. And um, it's always, I always like following your stuff. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's you're a hardcore dude, and you like to go at it hard and, and um but on top of that, you're a really good guy. You know, you don't have a huge ego, and um, it's so welcomed uh, sometimes in this day and age where someone that really gets it done that doesn't have a huge ego, is, um, it's refreshing. So I uh, want to thank you for spending time with us and hope you the best, uh, wish you the best in the draws coming up, and you never know, maybe you'll, maybe you'll draw some tags. Yeah, I, I hope so, and I appreciate you saying that. Um, Give give Hunter Meekum a hard time for me if you would. <laughs> I always do. I always Good. do. That's uh, it's uh, it's fun. He's a great kid, and um, he's uh, I'm I'm honored and and blessed to be able to work side by side with him out there at the ranch. And um, his family is a a great uh, Utah legacy family, and um, I've learned a lot from him. So it's uh, it's pretty neat. So I will give him a hard time. That's that's yeah. standard protocol for me. So um, all right, buddy. God bless you. Take care. Okay. Thanks, Jay. Have a good day. And I'm going to link up in the show notes uh, how you can reach out to Trail, uh, whether it be Instagram or through Go Hunt. So thanks a lot.